Good morning. My name's Katie, and I'm one of the pastors here at Incarnation. I'm going to begin with a question for the kids to reflect on. So kids, today we're going to be talking a little bit about people in our lives who have a lot of power over us and how we are called to relate to them. So imagine, who in your life gives you rules that you have to follow? Think about your parents, your teachers, maybe your grandparents. And I suspect, like lots of the adults here, you think, how do I have any power of my own in this situation? Well, I want to suggest that you have the power of prayer. You have the power of the Holy Spirit in you, who guides you in the ways that you are meant to relate to those who have power and make the rules. And so I invite you this morning to think about your parents, your teachers, the crossing guard, all those people in your life who have power over you. And I want you to maybe write or draw how you want to pray for them. And maybe, if you're an adult, you want to do this too when you get home. So this week, we're continuing our sermon series in 1 Timothy. And today, we're studying the first half of chapter 2. These are verses that instruct us how to pray, but they sit between these two really beautiful reminders about God's desire to free and transform all people through his love. As Paul said when he was talking about his own experience of transformation in chapter 1, he said, in fact, this is why Jesus came into the world. This is why he became a human, to rescue us from the separation from him that leads to death. And this love, this amazing love of God that rescued Paul is so amazing that again, in chapter two, he says that God desires everyone to be saved. And it's like he wants us to hold that love of God and use it to envelop our prayers. Because God wants everyone to be guided into an understanding of the truth of his love and how it can transform them. And so Paul, after he creates this sandwich of love, this enveloping image of God's love for all people, he then turns to his son Timothy, his son in the faith, his representative to the church in Ephesus, and he tells him, now that you have been wrapped and enveloped in this love, here is how you are to pray. This is how you are to pray for every single person but particularly for those who have authority and power over us. And Paul knew something of what it meant to pray with love for those who had power over his body and over his community. And he wants us to enter deeply into what it means to pray for our leaders. And by even saying to us, pray for your leaders, 
Paul is very subtly but clearly reminding each of us where power and authority really reside. He says, you look out on your life and you only see your earthly leaders, but you pray to the one who has full power over all of creation. You pray to the God who mysteriously establishes and casts down leaders, and we do not know how his hand works. You pray to the God who heard the cries of your ancestors and rescued them from Pharaoh. You pray to the God who took us into exile because we worshiped other gods and oppressed our neighbors. But this is the same God who prevented the extermination of the Jewish people through Queen Esther. This is the same God who caused Ezra and Nehemiah to find favor with the kings of Persia so that the people of Israel were allowed to move back to their land and rebuild Jerusalem. This is the frame that Paul uses to instruct Christians to pray. Pray to this God, Paul says. Offer your prayers and thanksgivings for those in earthly authority to the true king, the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God to whom belongs honor and glory forever and ever. And now that the true order of authority has been established, Paul turns to, tur to telling us exactly how we should pray and what we should pray for our leaders. First, he says, pray for those in authority so that you might live quiet and peaceful lives. These are lives that are uninterrupted by conflict and displacement. These are lives that are not threatened by violence or crime that's unchecked. This is the freedom to worship God as you wish. This is when law enforcement officers and other government authorities act with impartiality, when they enforce laws justly, and when they work to promote and protect the dignity and flourishing of all people. Paul then moves to the second part of his instruction on prayer. He says, pray for quiet and peaceful lives, not so that you can look after your own interest, but so that you can live with godliness and dignity. Paul reminds Christians that we want tranquility in our lives, not so that we can be left alone to just do what we want, but so that we are free to live as citizens of heaven. We want peace so that we can live our everyday lives in ways that reflect that God is our true king. We want quiet lives so that we can care for the poor and the needy, so that we can organize our family lives and our businesses and our neighborhoods in ways that reflect God's good and loving rule over us. And we pray that God's kingdom would come in its fullness so that all people can live this way. We want lives that cause those in authority to take notice of us. Today's psalm speaks of the kings of the earth praising God for his ways and particularly for his care for the lowly. And perhaps the best way for those in authority to know that God cares for the lowly 
is because we care for the lowly. Our treatment of the poor and the oppressed should never be a reason that our neighbors and those in authority deny God's love and goodness. Instead, we should want to live with dignity. We should want our lives to be worthy of respect and honor from our neighbors. And so Paul closes his instruction on prayer with the reminder of why we pray for everyone, including our leaders. We pray for them so that they might be saved, so that they too might witness our transformed lives and become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And so we pray, we pray every week that our leaders might come to the saving knowledge of Jesus as their one mediator and God as their king. We pray that they would act with justice, upholding the cause of the oppressed and the poor. And we can pray this way because our hope doesn't reside in them. Our loyalty belongs to Christ and our highest calling is to the kingdom of heaven. Last weekend, a few of us had a chance to hear from one of our outreach partners, Justice Ventures International. And this is a group that's really leaning in to Paul's instruction to pray for those in authority. JVI South Asia Director spoke about how they are careful to follow the government's laws on foreign financing so that they cannot be accused of money laundering. They seek to work with quiet dignity and to be good citizens who cannot be accused of undermining the rule of law. In this way, they hope that the focus will be on the quality of their work and that it will woo the leaders of their country to the cause of justice. And so JVI hopes and prays that they might be able to continue to work for justice in peace without government interference. But JVI also partners with the government to release the oppressed. Women and children caught in sex trafficking and families caught in bonded labor. JVI holds the government to account when necessary, when it doesn't enforce the current laws and when it doesn't have the proper laws in place to protect the vulnerable. And so JVI also hopes and prays that those in authority would be moved to care for the vulnerable and the oppressed, as God does. I'm highlighting the story of JVI for two reasons. First, because these are real people struggling with the hard question of how to live quietly and how to live with godliness. And we need to pray for them. But secondly, they illustrate another point that emerged for me this week while I was studying this passage. And that is how our social, economic, and political position can shape how we read scripture. In the case of this particular passage, whether you choose to accent quietness or godliness has a lot to do with where you sit. If you are a Christian living in a state that supports your right to worship freely, if you hold some economic and political power, if you're not from an oppressed group, then it would make sense that you would focus on not rocking the boat, on living quietly, on getting along with the government. But what if those conditions don't apply to you or to your Christian community? 
What if the state is a terror to you? What if you cannot worship freely and even becoming a Christian is forbidden? What if laws and law enforcement have been used to oppress you? Then you must really wrestle with what it means to live with godliness and dignity in the face of oppression. Christians in the past and many Christians today cannot simply choose to live peaceably because that would mean making peace with injustice. And we shouldn't insist on being able and being permitted to live peaceably either. For that's not faithful to the arc of scripture or to our fellow believers who are wrestling with these very real questions. We follow a God who came to rescue and restore sinners, and we're called to do the same. Each week in our prayers of the people, we pray together for all those who have authority in our nation and state. We don't pray only for leaders that we voted for or the policies that we support or only for those leaders we believe are godly. Instead, we're guided to pray for all those who have authority. Paul would say this, that we should do this because we long for them to be saved. As we enter into our time of reflection, maybe ask God to melt your heart towards our leaders so that God's longing for their salvation becomes our heart cry too. And perhaps ask God how God is calling to you to live both a quiet and godly life. Amen.